Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to We're Drunk and We Know Things, three times international award-winning podcast. Bum, ba, da, bum. Yeah. We're, we're going to be unlivable with from here on in. Yeah. Well, listen to the next one. Uh, what, the next award or the next episode? The next award. When the shine, the luster has gone out of our lives. I, I did receive something in the mail, actually. They are starting a podcast Oscar. Uh, and they Is want it a, a, a Posca? A Posca. A Podska. <laughs> Takes place in Poland. <laughs> the Polska Posca. The Polska Podska. Do, do they have a, a big dance number at the end of it? So it's the Polska Polska Posca Poker. <laughs> it's a classic triple three situation. It's a classic triple three situation. But anyway, I'll probably let you keep going with your introduction. Well, it's fine. This month, we were meant to be doing uh, a really quite obscure piece of, of French cinema from we 1955 were. We were. until Mike realised that actually it just wasn't very interesting <laughs> I don't think me sitting and monologuing with film analysis for an hour and a half about a relatively unknown movie from France from the 50s probably isn't really fitting with our brand so instead with mere days to go before we were due to be here <laughs> yeah. we fell back on basically every film nerd's go to yeah we're finally doing a Quentin Tarantino film. This month on We're Drunk and We Know Things, The Hateful Eight. That's what I do. I drink. I know things. I wrote an intro for you, but I'm going to do it because uh, I, it's good and I want to keep all the good stuff for myself. Well, cut my legs off and call me shorty. I'll be double dog damned if it isn't the hateful eight and we're drunk and we know things. Ah, just see look in the film. It's going like to be film. on our radio ads. Yeah, exactly. It'd be perfect. So yes, as you said, we were going to do something else, um, but we decided it was too hard, so just quickly tossed off a Quentin Tarantino episode in a couple of days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, uh, we are sitting in JB's, uh, our home away from home during the winter, uh, where there's just been a rugby match on, so it's full of kids, so, sorry parents, fuckity shitballs ass. Um, <laughs> so, um, do you want to talk about the plot? Yes. <laughs> Have you got a week? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's start with the obvious opener, so Hateful Eight, Quentin Tarantino's... Yep. Horror movie? Western movie? Which, uh, was it his seventh film? His eighth film? Eighth. I think it is the eighth. Yeah. Yes, because Once Upon a Time is ninth. Um, uh, it was made in 2017? 15. 2015, damn it. <laughs> I knew that there was a two-year gap thing there somewhere. No, it was fine, um, 2015, yeah. And yeah. there is probably going to be quite a lot of lift music. In this episode? No, there's, a, there's only one section that you need to be worried about lift music. Okay. And it's actually quite interesting. So, the plot summary is kind of difficult <laughs> to summarise. There's eight bad guys inside a cabin and one of them is trying to... One of them, or maybe all of them, are trying to help the woman escape. Actually, it's not that <laughs> difficult to summarise. The woman in this question uh, has been captured by a bounty hunter and is being transported back yeah. to the town of Red Rock. So it's Jennifer Jason Lee playing Daisy Domague and Kurt Russell playing John the Hangman Roof. Isn't Red Rock also the name of the town from Blazing Saddles? Uh, maybe, actually, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Anyway, they meet a couple of characters along the way, yep. including Samuel L. Jackson's character, including the sheriff character. Yeah, well, Walter Goggins is Chris Mannix, yep. And then they arrive uh, at this cabin. They're forced to stay in the cabin due because to a blizzard. blizzard. Yeah, yeah. At which point it basically becomes a, a modern piece of theatre. Yeah. Because there are only two sets in yeah. this entire film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. sorry, there's two significant locations. Yeah, yeah. Maybe four sets in the entire film. Yeah, well, we, we, I've got a little bit about that, actually, which is quite interesting. But, um, yeah, absolutely. Like I say, after the stagecoach, it's just in the and around the inside of the haberdashery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the barn and yeah, outdoors. That's yeah, it. that's, that's it. literally it. Yeah. This that's film is it. essentially the thing. It's a load of blokes. Go on. It's a load of blokes in an isolated place. This is actually something that Tarantino himself has said. 
It's a load of blokes in an isolated cabin, surrounded by uh, the cut-off, essentially, by the weather. And one or more of them is an imposter. Yeah. <laughs> and All it, right. like, I watched the thing directly after Hateful Eight last night, and he's, the shot composition, the lighting, Ennio Morricone's music, it's all very, uh, very similar. It's very, very interesting, very interesting. But we'll come to that later, and you can put film, film. Uh, you can put live music over the top. Well, that's all right. Let's, well, we need <laughs> to come to it now. Let's keep doing the plot. Well, so, yeah, we've done so, the plot. So it turns out that um, everyone is an imposter. Almost. And then it's just like shooty, shooty, shoot times, and then hangy, hangy, hang times, and yeah. he gets his dick cut off. Yeah, so it being a Tarantino film, yeah. there are a lot of people get killed. It makes me feel like a Tex Avery cartoon. Like, the violence is so cartoonish. It's like a Looney Tunes... Like, it's weird. It's, like, so over the top. But it, it almost becomes pastiche. It's and really yet, weird. it's also quite graphic in its accuracy. <laughs> Stomach chill. Like, when he throws up the blood onto her face, having already smashed her teeth out. Yeah. It's like, wow, this movie's violent. This is, this is a very yeah. violent film. <laughs> there are, of course myriad little wandering moments in Tarantino form yep. as he takes us off down little blind alleys of, yeah, so, of um, plot and backstory. Samuel L. Jackson gets a redneck to suck his dick. And, um, or does he? <laughs> or, or does he? And then, um, or as uh, Tarantino, who is narrating it, says as he's um, telling, he's enthralling the group with uh, stories of black dicks and white mouths, as Tarantino says, um, yeah, and then there's the other flashback, which is how everybody arrived and what happened to Minnie and Sweet Dave and all that kind of stuff. Which is classic Tarantino, non-linear, flashbacky, different chaptery stuff. Um, but the yeah. weird thing is, this film is wonderful, it's amazing for various reasons. The first time you watch it, it is legitimately jaw-dropping in places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's got real twists. Yeah. The trouble is, real twists don't really work the second time around. No, they don't. You should watch it four times in a week, like I have. It's uh, it's still good. It's still good. Testament to the quality of the movie that you still enjoy it. But I, yeah, I have I have arrived at the conclusion, however, that it is a horror film because the music is all very horror-y. The tone, there's a drone underneath. There's enormous amounts of excessive horror uh, of uh, gore. Um, you, like there's a fair amount of like stalking. It's like a, it's like a psychological thriller as opposed to a western. I'll give you the psychological thriller meets western angle. Sure. I think calling it a horror movie might be a bit much. All right, well, that's there's fine. not a single jump cut in the entire thing. Yeah, but there's no jump. There's no jump scares in The and Shining. You, you wouldn't say The Shining's not a horror film. Really? No, no jump cuts in The Shining at all. No. All right. Okay. <laughs> no, there are. There's no jump scares in The, in the Shining. Uh, but anyway, we're not doing The Shining. Uh, I, I, what? They're on. Don't both look at me like that. Kubrick purposely made it so there weren't any jump scares in The Shining. There's lots of scares, but no, like, cat jumping out of a doorway or something. All right, okay, fine. But there's also <laughs> nothing particularly inherently scary in this film. Okay, I think... Maybe the, I'm just massively desensitised. I, I think the tone is... Uh, the, is the suspenseful. Sure, okay. All right. Let's, let's say suspense thriller then. As then. indeed are many other movies. The Fugitive, for example. <laughs> a famous horror movie? Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, maybe it's me. And of course, the greatest horror movie of all, Ace Ventura, a detective. <laughs> ah, like a glove. <laughs> I was like, ah! Oh no, he's going to wear that car as a glove. Anyway. <laughs> I fucking hate Ace Ventura. <laughs> yes, so do I. That's a bad movie. Right. Uh, we've done the plot. Let's talk about all the amazing people that are in this film. Cast-wise, it is a classic <laughs> Tarantino. Yeah. In fact, to be honest, it's a classic Tarantino for a bunch of different reasons. Let's yeah, see yeah. how many you've got. So, go. Uh, it's got Kurt Russell in it, because he's in loads of them. <laughs> well, Kurt Russell had been previously in... Uh, Death Proof? Death Proof, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> I, was like, which? I was like, he's been in loads. Oh, you yeah, mean Tarantino? Yeah, but no, Tarantino one. Tarantino. So, Kurt Russell ticks the box off. And the thing. I've worked with him before and have brought him back into my movie. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson, exactly the same. Exactly the same. Uh, Tim Gen Roth. Gen John Tim Roth, who is fucking amazing in this film. He's that The switching between the, the, the English accents is so good. I love that. When he said the bar, um, uh, the bar is open, so follow moi. He's so <laughs> over the top. It's so much fun. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee as Daisy Domague, who is amazing. Now, bear in um, mind, Jennifer Jason Lee, another Tarantino trope. 
take an actress who was previously incredibly successful, yeah, but maybe yeah, her yeah. star has dimmed over the yeah, recent yeah. years, Absolutely. bring her back and make her do something utterly ridiculous. And get an Oscar nomination for it, basically. Yeah, yeah amazing. Uh, she is incredible. Apparently she was saying during the audition process, um, more often than not, when you're reading for a director, you do just that. You read for a director with a stand-in. Uh, but Tarantino does the other part, so you're acting with him. Um, and she said that was great, and she loves him. Apparently he was really good. Well, you, she's not going to say he was a cock, is she? <laughs> well, no, indeed. There's enough people saying that. But, um, but apparently he does... He, like, there was a bit where when I was on the stagecoach, and they're filming from the back of, the, um, of a pickup truck that's driving along in the snow. And apparently he kept getting, going to saying, uh, I need to... To go and have the radio I need to speak to the truck driver who's driving him with the camera in the back and apparently it was just so he could just say you are doing an amazing job I do not understand how you are doing this but we're getting all the shots we need you are amazing that's <laughs> so funny going to Tarantino just taking time to you know really because if there's one thing I think about Quentin Tarantino it's that he's a really nice man I think yeah. he probably appreciates people who make his art easy. Yes. Yeah, that's that's the realization of his vision. That's Get in his fair. way, and yeah. he will cut you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just ask him a Thurman. Who else uh, we got? Walter Goggins, who is new to the Quentin Tarantino verse, but Walter Goggins has blown up big in the last few years. Yep. He is amazing in Justified. He is amazing in this. He's my favorite thing in this film. Oh. When they've got them all up against the wall, and Samuel L. Jackson gives him the gun, and he's like his backup. And uh, uh, Samuel Jackson's like, one of you, um, one of you killed, uh, uh, poisoned the coffee. And he's like, his little backup line's like, you damn right you did, and all that kind of stuff. It's so funny. And I know so it good. wasn't you, because you nearly drunk a cup of that shit. <laughs> so good. Uh, Domaine Bashir, uh, who is a Spanish, uh, I've said his name wrong clearly, who is a Spanish actor who plays Senor Bob. Who is my favourite character Can in the entire thing. Can you prove it, <laughs> If only so because funny. he's so over the top. Yeah, yeah. And Seriously, <laughs> Senor Bob. He looks, he looks like he's a someone else in, in prosthetics. Yeah. But he's not, that's just what he looks like. So weird. It, yeah. The way he walks and everything, and that big fur coat and the stuff. The most so. Mexican... I mean, you see this much of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, between yeah, yeah. basically the, bottom of his, the top of his exactly. chin and the bottom of his brow, and the rest of it is just covered up the yeah, entire it, time. Yeah, the whole way through. Um, Tim Roth as Os Oswaldo Mobley, or English Pete Hickox. Um, who coincidentally in the Quentin Tarantino verse is actually um, the grandfather of Michael Fassbender's character from uh, Inglorious Bastards when they go in the bar in right. Inglorious Bastards okay that's yeah. his granddad he is amazing I love Tim Roth yeah I was watching it last night I'm thinking I might try and grow my hair like Tim Roth yeah yeah Tim Roth in that film specifically Tim Roth in that film yeah are you going to start wearing a bowler hat again maybe I've All still right. got it. Who else we got? <laughs> um, Michael Madsen as Joe Gage. Uh, standard. My Michael Madsen is in a Quentin Tarantino film. To be honest, Michael Madsen plays the same character in every single Quentin really, Tarantino film. He really does. Yeah. I think Michael Madsen plays the same character in every film he's in, let alone Quentin Tarantino. I'm pretty sure that he's just Michael I'm Madsen. I'm just gravelly and a bit sardonic. Yeah. But I can really fix the camera with a good stare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Bruce Dern, who is now a mainstay of Quentin Tarantino, uh, in that he's been in the last two. But Bruce Dern, as the uh, general, who he is fantastic as well, uh, who ends up getting shot by Samuel L. Jackson's character, because uh, his son sucked his, what did he call it? Big Black Packer, I believe. Um, <laughs> um, it was warm, though. It was so warm. Because <laughs> so, was full of blood. Because it was full of blurred, as he says. Um, James Parks is OB who just suffers the whole way through the film. Yeah. They keep making a go outside and then he just vomits blood until he dies. It's, it's, it's a really good... He does not have a good run. <laughs> he doesn't. He I mean, really... considering nobody in this film has a good ending. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, Minnie, uh, Minnie the Mink, uh, Zoe Bell as uh, Six Horse Judy, the New Zealander lady. Yeah. Um, and that is it. Oh, Channing Tatum, obviously, turns up right at the end, randomly. So that was meant to be James Ramar. Right. Um, who is he, he played Dexter's dad in Dexter and that, where most people know him from but he's a very prolific actor um, and, Quen, and Channing Tatum basically stalked Quentin Tarantino for like a year like, um, like going and finding him up, finding out what parties he was at and going there and that could have to beg him for a part and eventually Quentin Tarantino said fine you can be Jodie Domingue uh, in, in this one who hilariously has a recent thanks to the joy of the flashback actually has a decent amount of screen time yeah yeah because I, re I remember it was in, almost like a cameo and then the flashback is yeah, actually in, in real time terms he's on screen alive for about 30 seconds <laughs> yeah yeah 
They shoot him in the back of the head and it goes all over her and he's got his brains in her hair yeah, and stuff. It's brilliant. It's so mental. If nothing else, because by that point you are so invested in the fact that it's this massive standoff, everybody's been shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's the only one who's literally last man standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think, well, this is going to flip the balance. And then yeah. he just gets shot in the back of the head. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, so good. Oh. But he did shoot his dick off. True. Say goodbye to your waivers, he says. So, the budget. $44 million. Except it cost him $54 million. Uh, he went $10 million over. <laughs> Worth it. It's definitely all up there on the screen. Uh, it's not. We'll come to that. But anyway. But it made 155 Despite the police boycott, which we will come to later as well. Oh. So originally it was a novel. Sting didn't like this film. <laughs> yeah. Sting was like, don't stand so close to the cinema where this film is because it's bad. He was like, I think that every little thing that Quentin Tarantino does is, is shit. rubbish. <laughs> he was like, I'm an Englishman in New York and I won't be watching his film while I'm there. I got a message <laughs> in a bottle that told me not to go to the cinema and watch this movie. I think I've run out of police songs. This is the best episode we've ever done. I would be at the cinema, but I'm instead walking through fields of gold. <laughs> Triple award winning. <laughs> This is the gold that these people Fields come to. Fields of gold. Fields of gold that they come to. For this. Right, so oh, it made more money than it costs. I don't care. Let's I still just, can't imagine. Let's just I mean, finish your podcast. Maybe this is just me being... Uh, uh, every time we have this conversation, I'm like, 54 million quid. Yeah. For, fair enough. A lot of that went on talent. Yeah. And I'm, I'm guessing a lot of that went on film. Because yes. Quentin Carantino probably didn't stop the camera when he was on the radio saying, you're doing great, guys. That, that little radio conversation just cost him 300 bucks. We, we, will, we will come back to it very slightly later, very shortly, but um, the and two... I, I the do two, know that the, film, the filming and aspect ratio of this movie is special. It is, it is very special, very specific, but we'll come to it in a little bit, but so, uh, just while you're saying about... How did you spend $54 million dollars on well, making this film? The, the, ca- the cameras, the two cameras cost $10 million <laughs> because they're 1950s 70mm cameras that he had refurbished and then used the same film lenses that were used when they filmed Ben-Hur. And I don't mean the same type, the The lenses they used. (laughs) So it's $10 million just on the two cameras. Is that $10 million each? (laughs) No, no, to refurbish both. And that's not film stock, which has to be specially made by Kodak. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Michael Madsen did this film for a fiver. That's all they had left. (laughs) Anyway, right, so... Most he's been paid in a while, to be fair. Yeah, indeed, he'll take what you can get. Look, I'll just buy you dinner for a week. Now, uh, so it was originally a novel that was going to be a sequel to Django called Django in White Hell, which Tim Roth actually refers to it as White Hell at one yeah, point. Yeah. Um, but he changed his mind as he thought that the character of Django didn't fit. Uh, nevertheless, you can see his hat and green corduroy coat hanging up at one point. And apparently Samuel L. Jackson's character has the same saddle. That is not something I noticed. I'm not a big saddle guy, so... What, you mean really on the horse that's abandoned within the first three minutes yeah, exactly. of the movie? So right at the beginning, the saddle that's on top of the three dead guys is the same saddle well, that Django has. you know what? You can't unsee it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Feels so stupid when I read that and was like, can't believe I didn't notice that. OMG. Anyway, um, they should have begun production in 2014, uh, but it was leaked. Yes, it was leaked. Um, and so he continued putting out as a novel again. Gorka put a link to online to the original script. Um, the original ending had uh, Joe Gage drinking the poison coffee that turned into a firefight where everybody died so much would have, died, would have, would have ended much sooner than it did um, he said there were six suspects he gave advance copies to only six people Michael Madsen, Tim Roth, Bruce Dern Django Unchained producer Reggie Hudlin and two other, whose na- two other people whose names he won't divulge so Harvey Weinstein is definitely one of them um, uh, and then it got leaked so he sued Gorka, um, but then actually decided to turn it into a live, into a roadshow and did a live reading with a load of actors, including James Ramar as, as Jody and Amber Tamblin as Daisy Domague. Yep. Um, but they switched that up for the film. Um, but then he, once he'd done that and calmed down, he cancelled the lawsuit against Gorka, presumably because they've got a load of dirt on him and were like, uh, yeah, you can sue us. It's Gorka. Well, Hulk Hogan put, that, put them out of business. And then, um, yeah. They did a roadshow instead, and apparently it was really good. Like all around the country, reading it out like a play. Sounds good. Sounds really good. 
So when they finally did begin uh, production, they uh, filmed in Colorado, who gave the production $5 million as an incentive. That's uh, one camera. It's, it's half, yeah, it's one camera, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, they were also then given a 900-acre ranch to film on. Oh, which he built... Presumably loaned. It yeah, well, wasn't yeah, just le- like... him, sorry. Leased yours him, now. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, on which they built a cabin. So good use of the 900 acres, but... To be honest... It's a fair bit of out- outdoorsy you stuff. You kind of need to have the space for some of the wider shots, otherwise they don't work. Well, apparently when they set the original setup uh, with all the camera gear and everything for the exterior shots of the cabin, uh, they didn't take into consideration that a six-horse carriage has a very, 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 very big turning circle. Like, you have to take it around the house to turn it around kind of thing. Uh, and just had set too much gear up. So they set all this gear up around these six horses in this carriage. And then we're like, fuck. <laughs> um, I guess take everything down again so we can get these horses out of here. <laughs> but yeah, hilarious. Um, but apparently the weather was too nice and loads of the snow melted. So all the blizzards um, are fake. Fake real fake or fake post fake? A uh, fake real fake. So, so they just got a bunch of snowblowers. Yeah. And big, big fuck off fans. And I've got to say, Walter um, Goggins is uh, quoted to have said, "It was freezing, man." It's not the best quote, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it is a quote. Um, but yeah, but I, I just think about how horrible. Like that scene where he and Ob are putting the stakes into the ground to run the rope up to the outhouse. That's the worst. It's so horrible. They're falling over and stuff, and I'm just like, that isn't acting. That must be so horrible. It just yeah, yeah. I couldn't. Yeah, all those bits. Like um, Samuel L. Jackson walks up bloke naked through the snow. There's a bloke who did that. That's insane. Yeah, but I'm guessing... I mean, he got snowshoes on, so he wasn't completely he naked. He did. But yeah, he might get frostbite on his bell end. I'm pretty sure that they had people <laughs> standing by. And they cut, and loads of people run in and just grab hold of his wang. They're like, ooh, warm it up, like when you rub your hands together. I mean, there are specialists in a different area of the movie industry. <laughs> God, well, it is a Weinstein production. Hell! Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lie, that, I'd forgotten that until I saw the yeah. opening Ident. Every um, Tarantino movie uh, ever has got God. that thing on it, and you're like, oh man. Can you not just, can we not cut this off now? I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's, pretty much. He's, yeah. he's done. I bet, I bet you any money they would. I bet you, I bet if you watch the one on Netflix, they've cut it out. Because um, I was reading the other day actually about The Office, that they make a joke about suicide in one of the episodes, and it's been cut out of the episode from Netflix. So there's just an episode of The Office which is 16 minutes long because they cut out a whole scene because they're like, nah, that joke's in bad taste. <laughs> no, that's fine. Netflix, you can definitely start censoring all of our art. So that sounds well, I mean, good. this is why 50% of the episodes of this podcast are no longer available <laughs> online. <laughs> we don't want to get cancelled. Not in today's culture. No, it was just bad taste. <laughs> no, indeed. So um, they shot from January 2015 into the spring, uh, most of it on location, where the temperature was basically minus 10. Uh, so basically, they said chilly. any normal director would have done the um, exteriors as quickly as possible, and then uh, you know gone to a sound stage. But they built the cabin on where they were and filmed in it. The only other set they had, so they have the indoor set of the cabin, mm-hmm. and then they have another one built inside a massive refrigeration unit. So that when you see steam coming out of their breath and stuff, it's That's, because they're in the refrigerated set. Yeah, they're in a refrigerated set. Um, just because it's not miserable enough to be outside in the cold, you've got to then go inside and... <laughs> also, I mean, five mil a, a camera, you've still got a chunk of change <laughs> yeah. to spend. Yeah, yeah, you are, yeah, indeed, yeah. If you're not commissioning giant fridges to build yeah. sets in... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as we said a couple of times, the cameras are special. Um, the lenses were used in Ben-Hur, and it uses a 2.76 to 1 aspect ratio, which is basically Panasonic Activision, which is something invented for Westerns. It's only yep. the 11th film to use the Activision process shot in 65 and then blown up to 70 mil essentially um the last movie that was made in, with activision was in 1966 which is cartoon with uh, charlton heston so yeah so there is also a reason that it's never became massively like never massively caught on it's like a massive ball lake the film stock is enormous so massively unwieldy to carry around everywhere um it's like everything all those bits you know the bit where he's like uh, walking the guy through the snow yeah. and it's like beautifully untouched it's just their footprints some poor fuck had to carry a 60 a 60 year old 65 mil camera and enough film stock to make Quentin Tarantino happy up a fucking hill to film that bit and it's like 
30 seconds long. <laughs> I'm assuming that they had it on the back of a, a buggy of some form. <laughs> you hope so, yeah, yeah, yeah. you'd hope so, yeah. Not just loads of really tired horses. So, have I got this right? The You might be about to come on to this. The release of the film was problematic? Uh, due to the film stock and the process? Yes, it was. So, yeah, so due to that, he insisted that certain... Um, standards were met by cinemas showing the film um, and so it ended up not being shown in a lot of places most notably Cineworld for us because then it wasn't shown in Jersey because Cineworld said we're not showing it at that frame rate with adjusting our projectors and blah 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 and he said well fuck you I'm not giving you any any." Um, you don't get my movie you don't get my movie yeah exactly, exactly. Um, but that isn't the only thing that went wrong when Kurt Russell smashes that guitar you know when she's singing yeah, that yeah, song yeah. The, the snatches the guitar and smashes it against the wall. That guitar is an actual uh, guitar from 1870, on loan from the Martin Guitar Museum of America. And they were meant to cut, switch in a stunt guitar, and he smashed that one. But instead, he smashed a 150-year-old original handmade American guitar. That's why when she goes, whoa, 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 she's actually basically saying cut, because she's, oh shit, what have you just done? <laughs> So that's a 150-year-old guitar. So um, the Martin Guitar Museum have said they will not be lending guitars to film productions ever again. Understandably. <laughs> Given the Kurt Russell Although, also, it. I think Kurt Russell has just picked up an extra couple of baller points. Kurt Russell's amazing in this film, doing that John Wayne impression. Yeah. He, apparently he hated that moustache. So he grew that big moustache for Tombstone as well. Um, don't put your hand over your mouth when you're recording, Mike. Even to my moustache. <laughs> um, but apparently Goldie Horn hates it and so does he so there you go self-loathing so, in Kurt Russell there land. you go yeah That's all you've go. got to do is get him to grow some facial hair so other little tidbits for you um, the hands poisoning the coffee yeah. are Quentin Tarantino's hands of course they are and every time anytime there's a close-up of hands in a Quentin Tarantino film it's him it's a thing that Dario Argento used to do for his giallo horror movies that he does because he's like, such a student of cinema. I don't know why I'm being dismissive. I love Quentin Tarantino. Oh, so do I. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that they would be his hands because of a reason. Yeah, of, co- of course, yeah. Um, he also insisted that Kurt Russell and Jennifer Jason Lee, when they're chained together, actually have real period chains chaining them together. So you imagine it's probably quite painful. And she said... Um, we were like a very disturbed Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. They had to move around everywhere together. I really like that bit when, like, when they sit down to eat and he unchains her. And he, like, wipes the schmutz off her face and all that kind of stuff. It's really funny. I really like I was it. that he then proceeds to throw a bowl of stew back into her <laughs> yeah, face. Yeah, exactly. When he finds out the Lincoln letter isn't real, yeah. And it immediately goes so racist, by the way. That's such a good bit. He's, like, open-minded and blah, 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 blah. And as soon as he's found he's been made to look a fool... He switches back into that like real racist language. It's, yeah. This movie has a lot to say about race, which we're not going to discuss because I don't want to be another podcast that discusses Quentin Tarantino's relationship with race. It's problematic and complicated. There you go, we covered it. But <laughs> you know, it just uh, right. I, I think I think it actually does quite well. Well, did you want to discuss it? No, no, I was gonna ask how on earth you managed to watch this movie given that it makes prolific use of a word that I know <laughs> you do not like. Yeah. For good reason. I think I've made up reasons in my head uh, that Quentin Tarantino is allowed to for some reason. I don't really know why. Okay. Uh, it's an enormous double standard. It makes me a hypocrite, but no, I the think movies is, are good. If nothing else, it, <laughs> their approach to it is of the period. Yeah, absolutely. And it's probably actually not far off being accurate. Yeah. With one exception, I don't think that at that time, no matter how good a bounty hunter he is, a black guy would ever have been allowed to ride in a stagecoach with two white people. Sure, yeah. Aside from that, more or less nails it. Yeah, 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 fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but no, I, I, I think you're right, though. I think that the, 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 like his race is handled, period, appropriately. And uh, <laughs> weirdly, that word is used in a couple of contexts, like in a comedic context. The way uh, Tim Roth, they said about who's got the Lincoln letter, and it's like, it's the N-word in the stable. He's like, the N-word in the stable? That's a letter from Lincoln? It's just so weird. It's so funny. It's so, so funny. Uh, but yeah, moving swiftly on from that. All the gore was done by Greg Nicotero from KMB Effects, who uh, did all lots of um, George Romero movies. He does The Walking Dead. He was trained by Tom Savini, 
who was George Romero's and John Carpenter's special effects You're going to claim this plays into your this is a horror movie bit, aren't you? No, no, not at all. Okay. I mean, I am now. I wasn't going to, but yeah. I mean, that, that would be a, a valid connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If nothing else. Um, I was going to say, oh, Tom Savini actually did work on The Thing. Seriously, watch The Thing. Composition, lighting, music. It's all the same, man. It's just one's about space aliens and one's about an imposter gang man. Yeah. It's true, it's true, it's true. I will be vindicated by history. Uh, the, when they did the, so when the movie was released initially, they did a, th- uh, a road show with it, which was a three hour and seven minute cut, which has had some more bits in it basically, yep. which from what I understand we were discussing earlier, they've now released uh, it as four episodes as a mini series on Netflix, re-edited by Tarantino, which is the road show version and a few other bits yep. that we were talking about earlier. Typically, that is not available on Jersey Netflix because for some reason, Jersey Netflix is different from UK Netflix, even though the licensing would be the same because nobody gets Jersey. Nobody gets us, man. No. We've got pound notes. Nobody knows where we are. It's true. It's true. By rights, we should get new Jersey Netflix. Do you remember when we went to America and we had Netflix and it had cheers on it? (laughs) Best thing about that trip. Anyway, Ennio Morricone did the music. Who? Ennio Morricone. Never heard of him. I don't, I, don't his, I don't know how to say his name. <laughs> is, it, is it Morricone or is it Morricone? Is it Mor- Morricone. Morricone. Hey, yeah. what's the money? Hey. <laughs> ah, <studio> <laughs> um, he is quite prolific. But it's in his this first... film? Or? <laughs> yeah, no, in general. He's done a million and a gajillion. He's most famous for the Spaghetti Western movies. Um, the Thing yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, and a million other things essentially um, but it's his first uh, actual western since 1992 uh, an Italian uh, western called Buddy Goes West so he initially wrote a song for uh, Django called A Cora Qui um, but turned down doing the music for Kill Bill and Inglorious Bastards and the full score for Django um, he initially, then after that, said he'd never worked with Tarantino before. Again, he was a fucking nightmare. It's too controlling. I don't want to do it. Blah, 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 blah. And then he changed his mind and did the whole score for Hateful Eight. Fair enough. Yeah. And he used some of his unused co- uh, compositions for his score for The Thing, funnily enough. So, again, so it all comes around, Rob. It comes around. So wheels are the wheels. Wheels are the wheels. The one thing I would say is that... Um, I mean, the score is insane. Yeah. It's big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is very big. So when they did the roadshow, it had an overture at the beginning as well. So it's another 20 minutes of music, like on non-stop music that was playing before the film as you proceeded that he wrote as well. Um, it's, it's just incredible, it's incredible. And then also it's like modern songs, it's got white stripes in it. It's got a few other bits and pieces, but that the Morricone score is incredible, incredible. I highly recommend people get it on whatever streaming device you use. It's absolutely brilliant. Again, surprising. There's a Tarantino movie where the music stands alone really well. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of probably one worth of just the, listening to it as an album. Made by one of the greatest, most legendary film composers of all time, who, who is who is respected as a musician as much as he is a film composer. So yeah, yeah, shocking, shocking. Um, so let's talk a little bit about controversy. 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 Yeah. Either, either. Which one? Which one do you want to do first? Uh, let's do controversy <laughs> first, okay. and then we'll okay. do controversy right. afterwards. Well, the controversy was, um, unsurprisingly, they say the N word a lot. Yeah. Um, and from what I understand, it was um, it upset a lot of people who didn't really get the point or watch the film. But we'll come to that in one star reviews. Man, it was hard picking them this month. There are a lot. There were a lot. Um, also, in 2015, uh, Quentin Tarantino went to a Black Lives Matter protest and said, when I see murderers, I do not stand by. I have to call a murderer a murderer, and I have to call the murderers the murderers. And so the police union, and with pub- some public support, tried to organise a boycott of the Hateful Eight. Oh, that's why they were boycotting. Yes, yeah, so they were because he said that. Because he called them out on their racist murdering bullshit. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, so they... Um, by the way, just, just to be clear, you know white supremacist police forces of middle America <laughs> feel free to boycott us <laughs> yeah fuck off uh, yeah. We, we won't mind we don't need your patronage um, but the, um, the, the the ironic thing is they probably love it if you think about it yeah. racists probably love this movie I mean for all the wrong reasons I mean racists are dumb but you know but anyway 
Uh, if, and if they manage to not pick up on the subtext, yeah. then yeah, there's a yeah, woman, yeah, gets, yeah. woman gets smacked around a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, that's the other thing is that the, her getting beaten up so much essentially is, is another thing where it's like she's the, the only woman in the film and blah, blah, blah. I must but admit, it, the weird thing is that is, in some ways, it's obviously designed to be funny. Yeah. And designed to be shocking. But it's also, there are moments directly afterwards, because mm. the reaction to, I think it's when he's in the carriage, and he just smashes her on the crown of the head with the butt of his pistol. Oh, yeah, yeah. And basically, he just does it in reaction yeah. to something completely minor. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she just goes down like a ton of bricks, and you're like, <laughs> ha, 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 slapstick. <laughs> when Samuel Jackson hits But then she comes yeah, back so, up, so, yeah, yeah. and there's just the trail of blood. Yeah, yeah. And you go, oh, yeah. He elbows her in the face, and yeah. then she sits up, and she's got a broken nose, it's all gushing and everything. When Samuel L. Jackson hits her in the face and knocks them both out of the carriage, very funny, very very funny. Um, but yeah, so that I mean that was it. Just your, your standard controversies of Quentin Tarantino, like there are with every film in the whole world. I look forward to doing Once Upon a Time in America, so we can talk about how stupid all the Bruce Lee stuff is. Um, but yeah, so so that that is me. We've got a few award bits. You want to know what awards it won? Uh, how many awards did it win? Is it more than three? No. Right, so we're better than Hateful Eight. Yeah, yeah. Oh! Yeah, but, I mean, it won Best Original Score at the Oscars. Well, we don't have a score. Sure. I mean, we do, but it's definitely not original. But we do sound. All right, okay, so, go on, what did it win? At so the it Oscars, won, Best was, Original Score. It was one original score and was nominated for Best Cinematography and Best Supporting Actress. Uh, Emmanuel Lebechki won for The Revenant for the cinematography. Okay. Emmanuel Lebechki, French. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yeah. Why is that a surprise? It just sounds like the most Polish name in the world. Emmanuel. Oh, sure, okay. Emma, uh, Emma, yeah, fair enough. And Do you see Ali it now? Alicia Vikander. I've written Danish girl next to her, but I don't think she is. Oh, no, she was in the Danish girl. And, she was, and she was Tomb Raider. And she was Tomb Raider in that pretty okay movie. Yeah. It was pretty okay. BAFTAs. Nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Nominated for Best Screenplay and won Best Music. Ennio Morricone all the way around, unsurprising really. Kate Wislet won uh, for Steve Jobs, which I think that Jennifer Jason Lee is better than... Did you just Kate call her Kate Wislet? Kate Wislet. Wislet. It's a joke between us because last time I saw her she pissed herself. Uh. So I call her Kate Wislet or Kate Pizzlet sometimes. Sorry Kate, to out our secret. And then Tom McCarthy and Josh Singer won for Best Screenplay for Spotlight. Yeah. Which I haven't seen. Neither have I. So yeah, it didn't do bad. And then it won like a million other little tiny awards, like, you know, the Saturn Awards and the blah, blah, blahs and the blah, blah, blahs. A million and one, but I'm not sitting here all day reading that out. I've got places to be. It's not true. We both know that's not true. So let's um, pause for a moment in contemplation and then give our reviews. This one is... Oh, it's tricky. It is tricky. It's tr it's tricky. You know what it is? It's tricky to rock around to rock around this right on time. It's tricky. Well, I met this little girly. No. Her hair was kind of curly. No, 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 no. no. Right. <laughs> Why is it problematic to uh, give a feeling on the film? Because on the face of it, the film is beautifully shot, beautifully Tarantinoed. Yes. It. The casting is brilliant. The dialogue is superb. Yes. I'm trying to work out how much of that do I need to discount because Tarantino, or whether or not I can just let that ride. Why, why is him being Tarantino a qualifier? Um, because literally... You're taking points off a douchebaggery. This guy could make a movie about somebody filling a paddling pool with their own <laughs> urine, and it would be absolutely that, gripping. Well, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not asking this question, I'm going to state it as a fact. There is nobody who films a moving object as well as he does. Whether it's the, the way he films the stagecoach, as it moves along in the snow, is like it's the same as in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when Brad Pitt's driving that car, he's weaving in and out of the traffic. It's the same thing. Nobody does a dolly shot, or well, not a dolly shot, it's on the back of a truck, but nobody does shoot movement like that. It is insane. Yeah. It is insane. But you can't really discount it. You have to take it as a whole. So yeah. I absolutely love this film. Yeah, me too. I love it because of its apparent simplicity mm -hmm. that's not at all reflected in the massively overblown production <laughs> and to be honest probably not even remotely necessary that is a total affectation he could have shot this on standard stock and it would have looked just as good yep. 
probably yeah. would have looked a bit better because he might have been able to get a few more shots in. Yeah. Uh, that said, so you, is, you, you, you want this movie to be longer? <laughs> you could have. Been <laughs> it is long. It doesn't feel long. No, no, it doesn't. No. The pacing is brilliant. The characterisation is brilliant. Yeah. It's got to get. Yeah, it's a solid nine and a half out of ten. Yeah. I would. I would hundred percent agree. It is my second favourite Tarantino after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood now, uh, because that movie was basically made to tick my boxes. Let's be let's be real. Um, also, Brampy takes his shirt off in that film. It's insane. Um, <laughs> it's seriously, it is. He's a handsome man. Um, but no, I agree. 100%, a 9 out of 10, 9.5 out of 10. It really is. Uh, it's got everything. It's got everything I want. I think the only reason it doesn't get a solid 10 is he does rely on the reveal to give it right, the suspense. Sure. Yeah. And the trouble is... You watch it the second, the third time, you don't get the same experience you get the first time. But I think, I, I agree, I 100% agree, but it, the second and third and fourth and seventh time that I've watched it, um, I think it makes me appreciate all the smaller moments more. Yeah, maybe like, really because appreciate you're not, the, the, the you're grander not watching craft. it for... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The grander craft of the whole thing. When you watch a movie like that... And the fact like that, that it does hold up, it's not like, the usual suspects, which, yeah. let's face it, the first time you watch it, your jaw hits the ground. Yeah. And the second time you watch it, you realise it's not actually very good. <laughs> it's not that great, no. Um, but no, it's, it's like all those movies like that, though. The more the more I watch them, the more yeah. you appreciate it as And I'm one trying to think, there thing. must be... But there feel, are films that I can feels, watch feels routinely like, and they get the same level... I don't know. But it feels like The Shining. It feels like a, it's like an auteur movie, right? If, I mean, I'm not trying to make a point it's a horror movie. I mean, it feels like that kind of prestige film yeah. of that kind of level. It's not even really an epic. It's not like Gone with the Wind or something. But it's like Apocalypse Now or something like that. It's like it's that kind of level of craftsmanship and skill being put into making it, which is a very rare thing these days. Um, and why a lot of people don't like him, frankly, for the wankery. But you know me, I love a bit of film wankers. Right, so we both love it. That was thorough, wasn't it? That was yeah. good. Do you want to hear about some people who didn't love it? Can we not? They're, they are quite funny this month. All right, then. <laughs> I love the moments, though. It's Amazon One Star Review. I mean, the only reason that I would say can we not is because, frankly, we just said we love this film, and mm. I, there are bits of the One Star Reviews that make me worry for the future of humanity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah, I, it, yeah, yeah. Um, let me just let me run you through it, just a couple, because it made me laugh. This one's by Dr. Missy. Dr. Spoiler Missy. Spoiler alert. I looked at her profile. Not a doctor. Yeah. She gives a lot of five stars to a lot of horrible shoes, leading me to believe that she is a prostitute. However, <laughs> she said, this movie was beyond despicable, with too much profanity and an ill-scripted pi- pilot. I think she was going for plot. I could not watch it to the end. So immediately discount your entire argument then. It does not deserve one star. I regret my spending my money on it. I would not recommend this movie. I think that much is clear. I only brought that one up because I wanted to call her a hooker. Um, Amazon customer. A coward. A damn coward. Just don't bother. Just awful. And I know to expect Tarantino... What, for dinner? <laughs> I don't know. Is, I he, don't know. is he coming round? Personally, I think that he just, you know, Sprickazita Lingi, or maybe he didn't understand it that reason. Oh, that felt a bit mean. Yeah. <laughs> Even for me. Anybody well. who starts the title of their review with just, and then the opening sentence their review is just. <laughs> yeah, true, yeah. Uh, A.D. Wilkerson, absolute, absolutely not recommended. Absio. Had the right cask, but, ca- <laughs> right cask. The typical Quentin Tarantino, enough gratuitous violence to sicken a maggot. I just put that on there because I love that phrase. Enough violence to uh, sicken a maggot. No, I like I don't know how that would work. There were lots of plot twists, but the racism was beyond the pale. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Turn of phrase. Yeah. Um, Amazon customer, another coward. One star. I couldn't finish the movie because it was boring and I'm a fan of Quentin Tarantino. So weird that he couldn't finish a Quentin Tarantino film, given that he is a fan of him. You know what he should have done? He should have been forced to break the movie in half. <laughs> yes. 
so that it was more manageable for yeah. normal people. Yeah, indeed, yeah. I mean, God forbid anyone sits still for two hours and 45 minutes. You know, if you do the count, by the way, in terms of movies, to get to The Hateful Eight as Tarantino's eighth film, mm. you have to combine the two Kill Bills. Oh, yeah, because Gilbert Gunn's one. If you count them as one, two separate, yeah, yeah. it's his ninth. Yeah, yeah, And he's yeah. like, no, it's my eighth film. <laughs> um, Bru- Brooksy, one star, hits an L on the head with this one. This was like an Agatha Christie western with blood. Yeah, exactly. Five stars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Also, a door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is like an Agatha Christie novel with blood, yeah. Don't know what your problem is. Paladin. Full of darkness. The only thing right about movie is the hate. This is a demonic movie inspired by evil spirits. Anybody with a truly spiritual understanding but gets this. He put an extra butt in there so it makes it sound like he's got a magical ass that tells him not to like this film. Anybody with a spiritually understanding on, is but it, gets is this. It, but with a single T or a double T? Because it it's, could be a barrel. It is one T. It, it, could, be, it could be his, his <laughs> barrel of spiritualism. <laughs> yeah. Like a so, water butt. I've got so much spiritualism I've had to put it in a barrel, love. It's my god butt. <laughs> it's where all the extra spirituality that overflows my gutters. And I then, save it. So that when there's a host pipe ban... <laughs> and then uh, Amazon customer, and uh, the final coward, one oh. star. I think this might be a bot that has achieved sentience. This movie lacked any entertainment value. That it? <laughs> That's it. This movie lacked any entertainment value. Well, thank you, Johnny Five. I don't, I don't think that's <laughs> accurate at all. Yeah, weird, isn't it? I mean, don't get me wrong. You might find the language a bit strong. You may disagree with some of the violence, yeah. but it's definitely... It would certainly make um, very entertaining. reading uh, film reviews a lot easier, wouldn't it, if it was just that simple? This movie is very entertainment. <laughs> this movie lacks entertainment value. Oh, wow, Barry Norman's really lost a step. <laughs> <laughs> Barry Norman by way of Stephen Hawkins. How much amateur entertainment does this movie have? Some. <laughs> it is to a moderate degree. <laughs> Ooh, 66% of Rotten Tomatoes. Anyway, so those are the one-star reviews. Good times. Oh. Great memories. Assuming that you're not a film-reviewing robot on Amazon. Yes, sure. Well, frankly, if you are, <laughs> and Maybe. you were the one that liked this. Yeah, it's true. High entertainment value. <laughs> Put us out of a job, it'd be a nightmare. We'd have to shut the podcast down. No, I think we could just do an entire podcast. It'd be a lot easier to as, edit. As the <laughs> we can knock about 20 hours. Self-editing, out. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right, no, if you, if you like this, what else are you going to like the but thing. you're not allowed to say <laughs> any of the movies you've already mentioned? Okay, fine. Uh, all the other Tarantino movies, obviously. Nope, you've already mentioned uh, all of them. Okay, Stagecoach. The Searchers, Ooh. Ooh. Uh, Rio Grande, anything with John Wayne, really, you would enjoy. Tombstone with Kurt Russell. Any of the good westerns. Unforgiven. Unforgiven, that The Wild some, Bunch. Yeah, The Wild Bunch, absolutely. Um, what else? I mean, I mean, I mean, that's probably enough to be getting on with, frankly. All the Sergio Leone's, all, all, the, all the, you know, fistful of dollars and all that kind of stuff. Um, good, bad and the ugly. Uh, what are the movies with pe- good people in them? Um, the Incredible Hulk movie that's got Tim Roth in it and it's Abomination. No. <laughs> Sid and Nancy. No, it's Gary Oldman. Um, <laughs> I was going to do the robot voice here. Zero entertainment value. Does not compute. You does not compute. Edward Norton fight. Oh, fuck off. Tim Roth. No, it's terrible. But like CGI version. Really bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. I was going to say, there's probably, if you like the mystery angle of it, there's all sorts of locked room mysteries. Yeah, like mur- there's murder a whole bunch on, of... Agatha Christie movies, Poirot movies, yeah. Murder on the Orient Express, not the Kenneth Branagh one, you know. That movie's bad. It's got the second worst CGI train I've seen in recent years. They could make such an amazing, like, universe out of those movies, except they've got Kenneth Branagh playing Poirot and it's just bad. And it's got everybody's favourite bloated corpse in it, Johnny Depp. But <laughs> massively hamming up for the character. I hate Johnny Depp. Anyway, yeah. presumably uh, <laughs> his latest prescription of uppers came through yeah, exactly. just in time for filming. He's on his bennies and a bottle of whiskey at the time, fresh from slapping the shit out of some poor woman in the backstage. Anyway, it's enough slander for Johnny Depp for one week. Um, recommendations that we would make: uh, Star Wars. <laughs> oh, anything I'm... right? So seriously, anything by Tarantino? Yeah. Uh, anything by Sergio Leone. To be honest with you, anything that was made in the 
epic generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, watch Ben-Hur, watch Antony and Cleopatra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not because they're great movies. Spartacus. Not actually that good. But, to be honest, because <laughs> the making of them was so insane yeah. that the, the it then prompted, control. 50 years later, a man to spend 10 million quid on two cameras <laughs> to then set up basically a two-for sitcom in a log cabin. <laughs> Now I, I wish we I wish we'd save that. Can we edit that to the end? Because it's a really good way to end the episode. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. Right. Um, yeah. So big stuff. Violence. To be honest, if you if you like this movie because it's violent and because it's racist, you've kind of missed the point <laughs> yeah. and maybe stop listening. Yeah, it's true. Just do us a favour. Yeah, we don't if you want from you. that. Then there's plenty of it. Yeah. Just go look for it somewhere else. Yeah. So that's me. That's everything. That's everything I got. Anything else you'd like to say to our adoring public? No. Me either. I think I've insulted enough of them today. I think You're I think racist. This is, go away. This is suitably going out on a whimper, so this is good. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's, great. It's, it's great. Right, so that's Let's been... Let's just slowly get lower. Yeah, just slowly just... Uh, and maybe tell them that this has been We're Drunk and We Know Things. Sure. Where uh, are we? Uh, we're in JB's. And what are we doing next month? I've got no idea. Fair enough. Actually, I have. <laughs> so no, we do. We know what we're it's doing Christmas, next month. It's Christmas, isn't it? It's Christmas. We're doing something a little it? bit special. We are. So we've got something nice uh, for next month. Which should I be wouldn't fun. say nice. I would say special. <laughs> okay, fine. But yeah, it will be fun. Will it? Special. Okay, fine. It's special. Dear God, can we finish this episode? <laughs> so tune in next month for a Christmas special. Dare yes. I say a holiday special. Oh, you tease. You tease. Until then, uh, tune in two weeks' time when we're going to be talking about something that is going to be a lot more interesting than it sounds. We're talking about big technology, antitrust, and why we're all doomed. <laughs> yeah, shit. Brilliant. Until then. Kids calling you Ranga and Fanna Pants. No invitation to the high school dance, but you get. Do you want to lead in or shall I lead in? I'll lead in. Okay. I was building up to it. Oh, okay. So I've been rudely oh, interrupted. Tension. So I didn't know you were ramping up the tension. This, this is like a horror movie now, this, this podcast. <laughs> you know, this podcast is basically the thing. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. And it's Shock cold out there. It's yeah. warm in here. Exactly. And none of us trust each other. It's true. One of us is an imposter. Also, I used to be a dog. Because I'm old, so you're younger than me, so you've got a higher frequency range. Also, the brown notes, we're going to be playing it through there constantly. <laughs> <laughs> it's the perfect day to make him shit his pants. Right, anyway. Like Harrison Ford, you get in frantic. Like Sting like and This thing is guaranteed to satisfy. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Kurosawa Ooh. and Man Make Films. Keanu. No? Well, I don't make films, but if I did, they'd have yeah, a samurai. The samurai, yes. Just one, not twelve. <laughs> yeah, right. Right, anyway, let's do a podcast. Oh, no, hang on. I wrote you an intro that you need to, you should do. All oh, right, okay. It's a quote from the film. Because <laughs> that's what Walter Goggins keeps saying all the way through the film. Obviously, not all the little bits afterwards, just the cut my legs off and call me shorty. <laughs> you don't have to say that. No, you can say it. <laughs>